You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hello. Hello. Welcome to All the Things, the show where we talk about God, life, and the Bible. All the things. I am Monique Dusan, and I'm here with Krista Bontrager, Bontrager. otherwise known as Theology Mom. I am otherwise not known anywhere, but that's okay. Um. Hey, we have a pretty cool show today. I, I'm excited. I, I just really want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Did you make your tweet this week? Nope. You I promised did not. a tweet. I did. I promised a tweet, and then I went on, and I was just like, I find Twitter to be volatile. It is pretty. Um, it can be damaging to your soul if you're not careful in how you use it. That's for sure. And so I went on, and then here I am, and I got all caught up in people's tweets, and they were talking about race and. It's not nice gender. And I was like, whoa, what have I gotten myself into? And so I didn't. I just put my phone down and silently wept in my heart. (laughs) And then I didn't do anything. Oh, maybe we need to have a guest on the show to help us find some balance in social media. Maybe because, well, I'm like Instagram is okay. Facebook, you know, it's outdated, but I still get on there. But But Twitter's just a, it's a whole other universe. I can't with Twitter. Like people are mean. Yeah. It's not nice. No. So, no. I, okay. I will not make another promise to tweet because <laughs> next week I might just delete my account. Like, it is rough. I'll be the real Monique D somewhere else. You can get me a whole bunch of other places, okay. but not on Twitter. All right. Well, that's too bad. It is. <laughs> but. So, let's talk about the show. What yeah, are we doing? We're going to follow up to last week's conversation not necessarily about Eric Church, even though I could talk about him for a long time. <laughs> I think I think you had a good time at the concert. I really did. He is nice to look at. Yes, I said that. Um, but the conversation that we alluded to about you speaking at the Orange County Rescue Mission about mm-hmm. why there are so many different church denominations. Yeah. My personal question is, why is there only one Eric Church? I, I'm sure I can break that down for you. I guess I'm just wondering if we can get more Eric Church and maybe less church denominations. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to work toward that. That would be life goals. <laughs> Hashtag. Um. Anyway. <laughs> the, okay. So we you went to Orange County Rescue, Rescue Mission. Mission. Yeah. Yes. What do you do there? Like, explain a little bit about what it is. What yeah. is this class? Why were you there? Yeah, it's a really neat ministry. I encourage people to go check it out on their website. Um. They're down in Tustin, which is in Orange County. It's right there in the heart of Orange County. What they've done is converted an old base, military base, into transitional housing for homeless people and people who are um, maybe trying to recover from addictions. And they have kind of a two-year program there where they will walk people through steps to get them transitioned back into society. It's a wonderful ministry. Um, They... have people that you know are kind of like they're social workers caseworkers that's the word i'm looking for you know all all the lingo yes yes yeah i'll explain transitional housing and shelters on another show yeah yes so they you know they have programs to help people have accountability about getting off drugs and getting sober and but another aspect of the ministry is they provide um once a month kind of an apologetics or theology lecture that people can come to to learn more about their faith. Many people have left their faith behind 
or they're trying to come back to faith as part of their recovery from addiction. So this is an opportunity for them to ask questions about faith. And then what I do is once a month, I go down there and I lead a discussion group where people can basically, like we do here virtually, uh, where people can ask questions about about the faith. They do it there in person and uh, people can ask questions. And then I try to my best to come with come up with marginally complete answers to these okay, questions. So <laughs> you're answering questions kind of a lot here. Yeah. There. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what kind of questions do you get? Like, um, what is, do you think maybe your most common question? Yeah. A lot of them are struggling with abuse, a situation related to abuse. Either they've been abusive because of their addiction and they're struggling to find reconciliation and forgiveness from others, or they've been in an abusive relationship at some point in their past and they're trying to deal with that. So issues of forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, those themes come up a lot. Um, Also themes related to evil and suffering. How could God allow this to happen to me? Um, You know, all the pain that I've suffered in my life and and then how does my free will choices play into that? Um, many of them have questions about other religions. Um, how do I know Christianity is true? How do I um, find a relationship with God? Even basic things about, like, how do I pray? What, what does that mean? How do, I, how do I pray? So those are a lot of the questions that come up. Wow, so that's yeah. deep, heavy yeah. stuff. That's good. But they're very good. And... Um, I love doing the ministry and last week or two weeks ago, I did a talk on why are there so many churches? In fact, we have a little picture here to, of me teaching. There I am. Uh, I was wearing my Johnny Cash shirt and I kind of did a survey of church history on all the origins of various Protestant denominations. And that uh, video will go live up on my YouTube channel in the next day or so. Oh, so awesome. So then we'll yeah. all be able to see it. Yeah. So everybody will be able to, to catch the, the replay of the talk. My husband was um, gracious enough to put it together. But I love the work that I do there. And I love it that um, somebody had the foresight to see people that are homeless, that they didn't n- just need to have their physical needs met, that they had intellectual needs mm-hmm. and spiritual needs. And that the intellectual needs and the spiritual needs might even be interconnected with each other. And they ask wonderful and profound questions. And some of them have had wonderful careers and then they just fell into addiction. So it was a good time. I I love going there and um, talking to them each month. I always look forward to it. Well, maybe on another show we can talk about homeless or and the needs that people struggling with homelessness find or struggling with addiction I have. A special place in my heart. Oh, for I'm sure. So, yeah, as a social yeah. worker, yeah, we definitely should tackle that. That'd be yeah, great. I think it would be good. Yeah. But back to the question of why are there so many church denominations? What was the answer? Because I know I have that question. Yeah. Like, I go and I see Second Ebenezer Baptist <laughs> and First Baptist and Assemblies of God and, and, and Methodist. And what the heck is a Presbyterian? Yes. Yes. And yeah. Our Seventh Day Adventist Christian, like yeah. I don't know, and these are you know me, yeah, being a lay person. We talked about this earlier. I even asked that question, like, are Seventh Day Adventist Christian, or, or is, is that is a, it, some kind of cult? Or they, yeah, yeah, because we didn't talk about that much growing up in church. Yeah, and so I still wrestle with that question. 
Yeah, and that's a great question. And I just want to invite everyone to just go ahead and use the chat box if you're online, join the conversation and talk to us and tell us your question about God, the Bible, and real life. And we will try to weave that into the show. And it doesn't even have to be on topic. Yeah. It can be all um, off topic. That's Any what we, of the things. That's what we call all the things. But I'm just going to pull up Facebook here because we are live streaming tonight on Facebook, which is kind of cool. So thanks to my husband for making that happen. Um, yeah. So why are there so many denominations? It's such a interesting question. Oh, I want to give a shout out to Annette watching us. Um, I don't know where she's watching from, but maybe she'll tell us. Um, I think that the question of why are there so many churches, it's really an interesting question because for the first thousand years of church history, there really was only one church. Now that's not to say everybody got along. There was what we call schisms. People had differences of opinion, but they didn't break off and start kind of forming their own churches. Um, there was still just one church. And then in 1054, there was a split between East and West. And um, West is what we call, now call Roman Catholicism. And the Eastern Church is what we now call the Orthodox Church. So when you say there was one church, like, was everybody kind of making a Mecca to get there on a Sunday? Or, <laughs> you know, like, were there no churches in other parts of the world aside from where this one church was located? Well, what I mean by one church is that there was no denominations. There was just okay. there was just one. Think of it as like if there was a tree here, and it was like the the tree stump, you know, the the main part of the tree. And then when we get into the the, the split of east and west, we start seeing the branches come up. And basically, Protestantism, the Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Charismatics, Bethel, Hillsong, all of those are all offshoots of the Western church. They're all offshoots of basically Roman Catholicism or something that was an offshoot of Roman Catholicism. So that by the time you get to the ninth, early 1900, uh, Charismatics, Pentecostals, they're like an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of Roman Catholicism. And then you get to Hillsong and Bethel today. That's like even a further offshoot from, from the trunk. So it's like you know, way up here on the leaves. <laughs> that's that's where those churches are. So what I do in the talk is just kind of give a historical survey of church history to help us understand how all of these denominations came about in history. So I think that's cool. It makes me wonder my own question. And maybe somebody out there is wondering that too, or wondering this question. Do you think that that then waters down the different denominations? Because it's when I think of a tree, I think the branches closest to the stump are a lot thicker mm -hmm. but then the farther out I go they become thinner and like I don't want to step out on a branch that's too far away from the stump so yeah is that something that people should be concerned about like hey yeah. this is an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot it could potentially be a lot more watered down than the original version from which it came. Well, I think that people are that are in a more ancient faith tradition. What um, is ancient? So, Sorry. like an Orthodox or Roman Catholic or Anglican. Um, those those are more at the thick part of the tree, you know. But I think they would probably say, yeah, when you get up to the tippy top branches, it is pretty watered down. 
what I try to do in how I teach on my YouTube channel is I'm trying to always look for the core of what is it that ought to unite us as Christians. What how, I have a saying of let's keep the main thing the main thing. How do we identify what the main thing is and how do we differentiate between the main thing and cultural practices or um, secondary issues? And how do we try to stay as close to the trunk as we can? And I think that um, my approach to teaching theology is always to bring it back to um, how has this question been viewed in history? How, because that to me provides like some boundaries that we don't want to get crazy. We don't want to start venturing off into our own kind of peculiar theologies where we've traveled so far from the trunk that um, we're not even sure we're still on the same religion anymore. And that's, that's what happens with cults is there's offshoots that kind of go off in some crazy direction where they're no longer connected to the tree anymore. So that's kind of how I teach. So if people go to my YouTube channel, the Theology Mom, they're going to encounter that kind of teaching is I'm always trying to bring it back to what can Christians agree on? What, how do we get closer to that trunk? How do we stay and keep the main thing the main thing? So, yeah, it's, it is an important question. Okay. Yeah. We don't want people to go into what I call the WNT, willy-nilly theology. <laughs> that wouldn't be okay. Yeah. So our friend Juwad is uh, greeting us this week. He says, thank you so much for having Mr. Ramin Parsa on your show last week. If, you, if anyone missed our conversation with Ramin, I want to encourage you to catch the replay. That was so good. So informative. And he said it was interesting to see the landscape from an ex-Muslim's lens. And I agree. And, uh, you know, I would also commend to you, Juwad, if you want to hear more from former Muslims, um, an acquaintance of mine who has a number of videos on YouTube, uh, Abdu Murray, he's a Canadian, mm-hmm. uh, is also a former Muslim. He's also a, an attorney uh, in his background, and he has a lot of um, powerful, not just a powerful testimony, but answering very common questions that Muslims have about Christianity and talks about how that fit into his his journey. So we've already recommended um, Nabil Qureshi, um, to you a few weeks ago, but uh, we appreciate your tolerance with us and engaging in the conversation. Yes. And Annette is from Ohio. Woo! Yes. All right. Shout out to Ohio. And oh, she, have she, you ever been to Ohio in the winter? I have not. I have. It is like the coldest of the cold. So shout out to you, Annette. But, but it's not Ohio. winter there. Well, it's no, it's colder not. here right now. We've been experiencing some kind of strange weather here. Yeah. I saw this post on Facebook and it said, God knew our summer bodies weren't ready. So he sent winter back. (laughs) I was like, hey. Yeah. But no, I'm ready for summer. I know. All the time. It can't get here fast enough for you. Um, Annette says, it depends on whether or not those denominations are right or not. The reasons that Martin Luther had for the Reformation were valid. And, you know, Annette is raising the very thoughtful point of the question of these kind of how do we come at the question of what is the orthodox faith? Like, what is that core And that I was talking about? And when I'm talking about orthodox in this context, I'm not talking about the Eastern Orthodox Church. I'm talking about 
Orthodox with a lowercase o of of Orthodox in the certain in the sense of the the core of our faith, the the main part of our th- faith. And I think that there's very thoughtful questions that have to be asked about ancient faith traditions, and because we we share many of beliefs with the Catholics and the Orthodox, like the Trinity. That's something that we share in common. The incarnation of Jesus as being fully God and fully human. Um, and so those are important points that root us and ground us together. And then we get into the question of the, the we're raised by Martin Luther and then looking at our current reality that we have that there's so much splitting where the sp- the splitting becomes at times more about people's personal pride and their um, desire to go off and create something new than it is necessarily about how to keep us close to that trunk. So it's a, these are all very tricky and difficult questions, but I really like the work of Dr. Tom Odin. He's a theologian that I really identify with. Uh, <laughs> We have multiple personality weather. Wait, multiple personality disorder weather here in Ohio. I would agree we have the same thing here in California. It is quite a mess. Um, But going back to keeping things close to the trunk, I wonder how much of our splitting and creating of multiple denominations comes from almost uh, multiple personality Christianity so to speak of like, well, I want this. No, I want that. No, I'm not sure what I want to do. Well, you like this. And so I'm wondering almost of a, almost an individuality type of situation where I have to have something that just fits for me instead of how I think you would say sitting in and going the long haul with others, despite the difference. Yeah. And I think it's such a, it's such a hard issue because This is a point where our worldview as Americans clashes, I think, with our worldview as Christians. And I wonder sometimes how much we've reflected on that, of what do I believe about me as an individual and the American ideal of the rugged individual, and where did that come from? And then we transfer that into the church, where it's like, well, if I got hangups about this church, I can just go start my own church. <laughs> I can just rent out a, a storefront and hang out a sign and start preaching. And um, I think that as Americans, we understand that because that is a deep cultural value that we have as Americans. A case I think could be made that the, in, the noting of the individual actually started with Martin Luther in some sense, some people have argued that, that he, his breaking away from the Catholic church, which was not his intent in the beginning, he wasn't actually trying to break away from the church. He was trying to reform the church from within, but it ended up through, um, not his own choice that he was excommunicated. And then he ended up starting the church in Germany. But I think that what's important for us to, to, to think about is what, I don't think we appreciate how radical of a move that was, that it went from this, this unbroken stream of Christianity to now Martin Luther breaking off and doing something. 
that's just so normal for us that we don't even hardly notice it. But that was a very radical move for that time period. And for people of a more ancient faith perspective, that's disturbing. They still wrestle with that. And that is their main critique of us as Protestants. It's also a critique of our friends who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They look at Protestantism as a confusing mess. And it it hinders them oftentimes in taking us seriously because we can't articulate what our church even believes because there's a church on every corner. So it, it this is a an issue for, for many people that are inside the faith and outside the faith. So, yeah. Wow. And then That's, that brings us probably yeah. to your next question. That is, it does. It does. <laughs> it brings me right into my next question, which is why should I really care about going to church anyway? Yeah. Not to say that I don't go to church. I do go to church. But if I am completely open and honest, I have struggled with going to church um, and to, you know, be a committed part of a body of believers. Yes, because of my own hurt and struggle and, you know, stuff that has happened and all of that. And I... I'm still human and I'm trying to wrestle with this question of what should church look like? Why do I need to go? I don't remember seeing Jesus just chilling out in the church, you know, every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about it before, but I think for people watching who may also struggle with like, yeah. you know, I really don't need to go to church. I think you bring up some good points. I don't know that I'm completely convinced. That's okay. But Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it's, it, it's just a tough question in this culture. In fact, you and I were talking about this this morning on our walk and, um, then I came home and I was looking up some statistics. In fact, I had a graph here, uh, that I wanted to put up, uh, to illustrate this. Now, this is a graph that starts in 1970 and goes up through today. And you can see here the, um, the important point is that the no religion, which is kind of this light green color, which started off in the 70s at about 5% of the population have no religion. But now we're up to um, where people with no religion are at about 23% of the population. Now, the red line at the top is evangelicals, which is what we would identify as. And you can see in the 70s, it was about Uh, about 18%, 17%. It goes up to 30% in around the mid-90s, but has been declining. And at the very end, you can see the green line and the red line meeting where people have, there's now in our country as many people with no religion as there are evangelicals. And people who are leaving the church are, uh, they have different terms for these. Like people of no religion, they call them nuns. Now, because there's so many of them, so they have their own designation. Uh, people who leave the church are called duns. They're done with the church, and they leave the church. But it's an interesting cultural moment that we're in where evangelicals and and nuns are statistically the same. Um, and, you know, hovering in, in, in around 20% of the of the of the population in our country. And 
I think that there's a lot of people who are just done with the church. They, they've left. And there, there's a lot of pain and difficulty and people just give up mm-hmm. on going to church. And doesn't mean they're necessarily giving up on their faith. They would still probably self-identify as a Christian, but they give up on the institutional church. Yes. And they they leave, and we call those duns. And so I think that's kind of what you're asking about. Our friend Amanda, well, first of all, Juwad makes a comment. He says, I think the Protestant church as a movement was a reaction to the Catholic church abusing its authority in the Middle Ages. That's certainly... One of the the issues involved, Juwad, I think that there were other cultural factors too. Um, a rediscovering of the classics was one, um, a um, kind of a renewal of classical education was another aspect to it, returning to the sources, um, returning to the Greek manuscripts over the Latin Vulgate. There was a number of things that happened at that time that kind of all coalesced in causing the Reformation to come about. But what you're identifying there is certainly one of the cultural issues. And then our friend Amanda is on there. She says, if the church is sacramental, I see more reason to be connected to it. If it's just a social experiment, then my enthusiasm wanes. And that is a great question. And Amanda is our friend of ours, who's a, another lady theologian. I want to go to Donna's comment. Oh, I missed that one. Very good. Sorry. Are we drifting from the truth as time progresses or actually getting more revelation? Hmm. And in my heart, I kind of feel like maybe it's a little bit of both. I can't, I can't really say. I think that as time progresses, more truth is revealed along with more grace, but more grace is given because people do progress and progress away from things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a tough question for me as we wrestle with the rise of what I call evangelical progressivism. Um, and I am not a progressive. I, I would not call myself a progressive. I'm mm-hmm. fairly traditional. And uh, that's why I use the term historic Christianity quite a bit. Um, but I also see that in our cultural context, there's definitely those who would say that we are progressing and that we are almost reinterpreting revelation from the past. So I think that that is a viewpoint that is on the rise. I, I don't subscribe to that view because I can see when I look at things historically, I think that different aspects of the church in different regional areas um, if you look at the church globally, it's much more balanced. I think that we can often get inside our own cultural context and think the church is this. We ascribe we as- that to, to the, the church. World, yes, to the big church. exactly. So you, you and I have talked about uh, how church shows up in Africa mm-hmm. and how that's different. And they have their own cultural beliefs and practices and assumptions we have cultural beliefs, practices, and assumptions and as Americans and that those two are different. And so if all you ever see is your cultural expression of the church, yeah, you are going to think like, hey, what's wrong with us? Like, you know, are we progressing or are we not? Or, you know, there's different questions that would be asked. 
I try to approach Christianity more from a historical and global perspective to try to find more balance. But that's how I've thought about it. But it's a great question, and I'm still thinking through. So, yeah, that's fair. Um, Annette says, when I look at the Orthodox and RC traditions. Roman Catholic. Roman Catholic, thank you. I don't see what I don't see that it resembles the early church. I want the church to look like it did in the book, book of, of Acts. Acts, which is you should really go to watch my talk, uh, Annette, because that was exactly what I talked about is that um, the common thread to the Protestant expressions is over and over and over again, a search for the church in the book of Acts. That was always what they were trying to do. They were like, well, it's still not looking like this. It, oh, it's still not looking like the Church of Acts. And and then they would try to make this adjustment and this adjustment. And every tradition on some level in Protestantism is trying their best to reenact or recapture what they see in the book of Acts. Really? I, I think you can find that thread through. And maybe it's a, it's a doctoral dissertation. Maybe somebody could look into it. But that's my theory. Of Not of how that how that shows up. Yeah, you can work on that. Nope, I won't. That won't yeah. be my thing. <laughs> but um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I see that. I because I don't see. And maybe I'm just looking at it through the wrong lens or not understanding correctly. But I don't see like mega churches in the Book of Acts. And don't get me started on mega churches because <laughs> I dislike them with a lot of my heart. Yeah, I don't feel like that was like some kind of biblical Jesus model at all. Well, but I I don't. When I look at certain churches and certain denominations, unless I'm just completely missing something, which I must be, I don't see them searching or wanting to model something in the book of Acts. Well, I think that every if you look at what different Protestant denominations do, they all emphasize something different that they see in the book of Acts. And I think, you know, some. It, let's go back to your question about, why should I care about going to church? Because it's sort of connected mm -hmm. to that. Um, what we've been talking about church so far is mostly like a building with a gathering. And I would actually say that that's not actually the New Testament definition of what a church is. A church is primarily in fun the, the most fundamental level an identity. It's a who, not a what or a where. And so when we talk about church, we're talking about a supernatural entity that has a physical manifestation in, in this creation. And that we have been kind of appointed as ambassadors for Jesus. But the church is primarily a who. It's, a, it's, a, it's an identity. It's people who have been who have um, come into faith of Jesus as their savior, and then they're connected as the body of Christ in the spirit realm. And so, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's this lengthy passage about the body of Christ. And maybe my dear husband can put it up on the screen. Yes, on First Corinthians. There it is. Um, it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body so that it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, 
whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And I think what's important to understand about Christianity is that when we talk about the church, there's two components. There's the individual faith that all of us must have a conscious um, kind of putting our faith in Jesus. Um, But at the same time, there's also this corporate element it's much harder, I think, for Americans to understand that we are organically and spiritually connected to each other. So there's no, there's no concept in the New Testament of just a person kind of being a Lone Ranger Christian. And we think that leaving the church means I'm leaving the building or I'm leaving the local body, but you actually can't do that because we're all interconnected. And the Christian life is intended to be lived out as an individual, but in a corporate context for confessing our sins to one another, for having compassion for one another, for taking care of each other and the physical needs that we have, for, for fellowship and, and to live life together. The problem, I think, in America is that we've, we've created like this kind of alternative scenario where we can just sort of drift off into our own nothingness of our individuality and say, I don't have need of the church. And we think that we can somehow stop the corporate part of our faith, but that was never the intention. I going back to Amanda's question earlier, I was, if the, is the church sacramental? I think that there is. And what she means by that is, is there some kind of supernatural impartation that we get from being together as a body it, it, through the Lord's Supper, through baptism, through fellowship, through different traditions that we have. I think it's a very provocative question because otherwise the church is really, if it's just a gathering, somebody's at our front door. Isn't that fantastic? That awesome. Um, and we're doing this right in our living room. Oh, it's just Amazon. Don't, don't wait. If, if the church is, is, is conceived of as being um, an individual thing and, and not a corporate thing and not supernatural, then I don't know how it's any different than like a 12-step program or even a baseball team. It, it's the supernatural component that makes it the church. And so going off and doing your own thing, I just don't know how that works. But that's just me. Now you're going to pick it apart, and that's okay. No, I won't pick it <laughs> apart. I won't because we have some comments. Yes, no, it's good. Yeah, go read the comments. And all I'll, right. I'll, yeah. Well, first of all, our friend Laura is saying uh, that that theory has really resonated with me. I think she's talking about um, some of the comments I was making earlier about the ancient church. I see it in most churches. It makes sense. Oh, I should probably talk about the theme of looking, renewing, looking for, for that in old, in the Book yeah. of Acts. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says it makes sense, especially with the charismatic stream. Definitely in the charismatic Pentecostal stream the Bethel stream, they're always talking about how they want to go back to the church 
in, in the book of Acts. They're trying to recapture that. They're trying to figure out what was happening there. Why was the church so powerful and effective? How do we go back to that? Um, Laura says, what's another Laura? Awesome. Yes, the church is a who, a living spiritual organism rather than an organization. Yeah, that's another way of saying what I'm saying. It's not a what. It's not an organization. It's a who. And it's part of your identity. It's even more foundational than you being a black woman or me being a white woman. As it said in the scripture I read, it's not Jew or Greek. It's not about rich or poor, slave or free. It's something even more foundational than that. It's an identity issue. And that's what the church is. It's a people. So often we think of church as the functions. They preach, they take the offering, they worship. Those are functions. But that's not what makes something a church. I could do all those functions and have a bunch of non-Christians sitting in there in the audience. But the identity must precede the functions. The functions come out of the identity. And we do these functions because we're we're kind of engaging in the tradition of what Christians have done through the centuries. So that's some of the ways that I've wrestled through that. Okay, Juwad says, in general, the evangelical church gives Old Testament more weight than the Catholic or the Orthodox does, treating Old Testament as an expired book is so prevalent outside of the Protestant church. You know, Jawad, I would actually say my experience with that is the opposite. I don't know. I would be curious to know more of what your thoughts are, what your observations have been along those lines, because I find that many evangelicals, they don't know what to make of the Old Testament. Um, They really struggle with how to interpret it. And um, whereas my Orthodox friends... um, seem to value it much more, but that's just been my experience. So I'd be curious to know more about what you're saying about that. Annette, uh, you see Annette? It says, Oh, where did I lose it? Oh, it says, I really struggle finding the right place. Oh, I'm so glad she made that comment. Yes. Yes. Cause that brings us back to your question. Yes. Be, I think that I, I resonate with that. Like, Oh, am I fi- finding the right place? Like I moved home a year ago and like finding the right place. And if we're all a body, I feel like, when I go to church, it should be like seeing my cousins. I have no cousins. So, you know, I imagine and I dream. That's us. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's you know, like there shouldn't be a look upon like, oh, who's the new girl? There should be a welcoming aspect or like, I, I just don't know. But I struggle with feeling like, why do I have to go? Like, why? I believe in Jesus. I believe in Holy Spirit. I know God the Father. And I have friends who are Christians. We sit around and we talk about Jesus. We, right. you know, like we have times of intimate conversation regarding the scripture. Like, do I, what is it that should compel me to this building? And I, I, I just, I'm not yeah. there. And, and so then that brings me to the question of like, but if I'm sitting around with my friends and we decide to bust out in worship and to talk about the scripture, am I not having church? Am I not participating as a Christian? Am I not then in my identity? Yeah. And I think the historic answer to that would be no. You're, you're not, it's not a church because the historic answer is that a church needs to to have the sacraments and needs to practice the Lord's Supper and baptism. 
Now, if you're doing that on a regular basis with your friends and you just are making like a home group with your friends and you guys are meeting together and you're in your walking together in life and and trying to learn how to walk in your identity as a Christian and and you're practicing the sacraments, then that's something that could approach church. But I think that like if you're just hanging out on a Friday night and all of a sudden you bust out in worship, certainly that it's a church in the sense that you're all Christians and your identity is connecting you. But then there is this other aspect of the term church in the New Testament where it's a location. And that's what you're wrestling with is do I need to go to a location? There was the church in Galatia, the church in Rome, the church in in Antioch, so in the church in Jerusalem. So the church is both an identity, but then it has an expression in a location. And we don't see in scripture any version of that where you just have random willy-nilly people walking around saying, I'm, I'm a Christian, but there, there's no connection to the local manifestation of, of the local body. And so that's that's the struggle that that we are creating, and I, I I'm just trying to make the, the observation of how this I think my theory is that this flows out more of the American worldview and rugged individualism than out of scripture, and I'm I'm just kind of again it's just a theory, but that's that's the the place where we're we're wrestling, and I mean let's just be clear, like can we just be honest, like yeah, let's be dealing. Honest. With Christians is horribly complicated sometimes. I mean, can we just have a moment of honesty of saying, like, people are sinful. Yeah. They act selfishly. Some churches are abusive. Run away. Find a new church. But I would say don't give up on going to church altogether simply because you run into sinners. In a, in a church and it's difficult. I've been in some horrible church situations, horrible, but I've, I've done my best not to run away from them because they're sinful people, because I am a sinner. And I would hate to think that I've done things that caused someone else to give up on church, but it's that whole log spec situation in Matthew's gospel of like, we're so focused on other people's sin. You did this wrong. I was judged or I felt I fallen into an offense with this local body, but then we give up on church altogether. Well, it's, it's just sinners and I'm a sinner and I need grace. So can I have grace toward others? Now it's not to say maybe like you got to find a new situation <laughs> You, got, you, you don't want to keep going to a church where there's abusive people or an abusive pastor, but don't give up on the church because it's Christ's body and Christ loves his church. He's coming back for his church. He wants his bride to be pure. So let's go be part of the solution. Let's go be part of making it better rather than giving up is kind of my posture. So... It's it's rough. I get it. People are sinners, though. Yeah. Yes. And I don't have much of a refute necessarily, well, but it's a I, conversation. My my position is still somewhere in the realm of, you know, I don't know if it's for me. 
<laughs> not sure. Well, I'll just keep making my case. <laughs> um, let's see. Donna says, I agree that the church is alive. A bride is a living being who participated in the marriage. Yeah, it's a great point. Because, um, you know, and Jesus, I, I was so struck once when I heard a pastor say that, that Jesus loves his bride. And if you if if I fall into an offense with the with the bride, then I'm I'm disconnecting from Jesus in some way, because that's what he's 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 put himself in that position, to that that is his bride, that is his expression of himself right now until he comes again, and so if I just completely reject it and I write people off and I just say mm, that's not for me, it makes me think like then I'm, I'm falling into an offense with something that Jesus loves and he's coming back for. And that's, I'm not ready to do that like so quickly. I don't know. That's my struggle. Um, I wonder why we have to choose one stream. It seems like modern churches are either sacramental, evangelical, or charismatic. Why can't it be all three? I want to be all three. Laura, I'm with you. Uh, if you go on my explanation on Facebook of who I am. I say that I'm, I'm all three. I like to strive for being ancient faith, sacramental, evangelical, and charismatic. I try to find, going back to the earlier point, mm -hmm. find that core of, of where they are as much as I can. Um, Annette. Yes. Says, I want a biblically sound church where I feel like I can use my gifts. I can usually find one or the other. Annette, oh, I feel like, you Annette. know, we can be kin. We are cousins. Yes, Annette, I am with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I was in a church for several years, five or six years, where that was a question for me. And so I opted for that season of life to be on what I thought was a more biblically sound church, but had no use for my gifts at all. Then... I went to a different, we went to a different church because that church was sort of abusive. And so we went to a different church. That church had a lot of theology against women teaching. But what I did in that situation was I started my YouTube channel. And then that was kind of the equalizer for me. It was a way for me to creatively use my gifts without compromising my church situation and then eventually that church gave me a chance to teach. It took about 15 years of, of just quiet humility and letting the, the pastoral staff observe me from afar. But then they, they gave me a chance. So I have a question. So Of course you do. Because I'm me. <laughs> um, as a proponent of someone, you being a proponent of, of going to church, what are the fundamentals that someone should be looking for? Because when I go to church, I'm like, I know that I know what I'm looking for. I'm I know what I don't want. And I can easily sit and I can spot out the things that I don't want. Like this is just a production. I came from a large church. I know you have your run sheets. I know you're technically giving him the cue for when to have the spotlight on the singer. <laughs> I know when you that, hold up three fingers, you're saying, sing the chorus three yes, more times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we, when you have the pastor's assistant or as we used to call them, the pastor's ass assistant. Um, but like the person who, yeah, I am, I am that one. Um, you know, like 
when church just is more of a production. And I feel like that is what I run into so much of like, when do we just get to sit down and break the bread and just be real and be like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I say that word that I really shouldn't. (laughs) You know, can we talk about that? Um, Like, this is really what it is, as opposed to, I feel like, just going in church and it's just some mega production, even if it's a small church. Like, it has to be something over the top in order to draw people in. what what are the things that people should go in for? And you can just speak to me. What is it that I should be going in looking for? Because I'm telling you right now, I can tell you what I'm what I'm seeing that I don't like. Yeah, well, well, if we're always looking for something we're not gonna like, we're probably gonna find it. You know, that's that's sort of how that goes. And if we go you into find it, what you look for. yeah, and if you go into it looking for the positive, you'll probably find that. I mean, uh, what I try to look for when I'm gonna go visit a church for the first time is go visit the website. That's always it's such a great age that we live in you can go look at their um statement of faith you can listen to or some watch some sample sermons you can get a feel for the depth of the biblical teaching um and uh monique will be fielding all of your offenses about her language in the chat box uh and i think that uh the the difficulty that always comes up in my mind like the red flag is if I go to a church website and they don't have a statement of faith or it's 10 lines long. That tells me that they probably don't have as much value on what they're teaching. So I so, look for a statement of faith that's like between five and seven lines or more than 10. I would look for more than 10. Okay. I mean, I would, you know, if they, if they really are taking their beliefs seriously, I look for something a little beefier in the, in the statement of faith. If they, if they say, well, if you really, I was on one church website recently and it's a church you and I know, and it says, if you really want to know what we believe, then write us an email and we'll tell you. I'm like, no, wow. Okay. And so that for me would, as an outsider, be like, I don't think that that's the church for me because like our friend was saying, um, she wants to find a church where there's doctrinally sound church. So I always start with a statement of faith. Then I look at the staff. For better or for worse, I try to think about what community the church is located in. Does the staff reflect the community? That's a good one. Um, Does the staff reflect the community that they're in? Now, if they're in a church in Appalachia and I'm going to, that's where I live and I go on the church website and everybody's white, that's probably not a big deal because that probably reflects their community. But if I go to a church that's local here and it's certain cities that we live in around here and it doesn't reflect the racial makeup of the community, I would probably have some questions about that because I would want people to be represented that that church would represent the community. And that would show that they were involved in the community mm-hmm. in which God has planted them. I would look at the sermons. I'd watch a few sermons and to see the level of the teaching. What does it look like? I always look at the classes that they offer. Do they have classes that actually teach you about the faith? Um, are all their classes only six weeks long? Uh, because that tells me that's a church that probably is very like not really helping people get deep roots 
or do they have long-term classes? Do they even maybe have like a study center that's attached to it that, that you can really dig into the details of the word? So what's the kind of culture that they're presenting on the website? Um, those are just some things I look for. Worship is another big component for people. Um, but I can do without the theatrics and the theater and the lighting and the loud music if they're really offering something good and substantive for the people. So And that says it I definitely weed out the cessationists. Yeah. It, or it definitely, sorry, it definitely weeds out the cessationists. Yeah, and cessationism is a stream of Protestantism that tends to um look at miracles as even miracles and some of the other gifts as being no longer relevant or in use today. Or they'll sometimes, modified cessationists will say that they're just very rare. Mm-hmm. Whereas Pentecostals, Charismatics tend to want to flow in the supernatural yes. a bit more. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, Amanda. LOL. <laughs> LOLing <laughs> at my handling of the offensive language. Oops. <laughs> this is might be why I need to go to church. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I could argue that. Yeah. Um, or could see an argument for that. Um, okay, I think maybe that was a long conversation. It was, but, but it I was, was I'm like super excited at how many people were jumping in. Uh, Juwad just added a comment about the evangelical church treats Old Testament as a theological book, but Orthodox and Catholic treat it as a historical book merely. Boy, I, that's such an interesting comment, Juwad. I that hasn't been my experience with the Orthodox of the Catholics, but I'll have to reflect on that because I'll ask my Orthodox friend uh, what she thinks about that. Maybe we should have my Orthodox friend on sometime. That would be fun. And uh, to maybe to even address the question earlier of how the Orthodox church doesn't look like the church in Acts. I had her actually come to my uh, theology club when I was doing something with the youth and do a talk on that question of, uh, how the Orthodox church um, has some of the the roots of its practices in the book of Acts. And that was an interesting conversation. I learned a lot. So maybe we should have my Orthodox friend on sometimes talk about that. Annette can't deal with hymns either. (laughs) I tell you, we, I'm there. I see you. I see you. This was. It was a, a long conversation, but I also think a good conversation. Thank you all for chiming in with yeah. your thoughts and questions. That's what we really yeah. want the show to be. So we're glad for, for you guys yeah. jumping in. And I've I've received a lot to think about regarding my church uh-uh. participation or lack thereof. But hey, I will be in church tomorrow. So. That's right. And we'll, that. maybe we can listen to Eric Church on the way. Yes, I would appreciate that. Oh, my, the teenager is saying no. Or we could just look at his picture. We just got vetoed. I can hold it up to the rearview mirror. <laughs> hey, if you don't know who Eric Church is, I just say... It's a lot of it, drinking songs. Let's just say that. Well, that is true. But he's nice to look at. All right. One final note before we go off here. Uh, there's something... and This is... I'm springing this on Monique. She doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, true. There was... I like, you know, you were having a little gripey thing earlier about Twitter, but there's some good stuff on Twitter. I haven't found it yet. All right. Well, I'm going to show it to you right now. Okay. All right. So here is a Twitter string that I 
made this on my laptop. This gal, all right, so this guy Floyd is a, a U.S. postal worker. He's been working for 35 years and he was getting ready to retire. So this reporter went with him on his route on his last day. And he, I just thought it was so beautiful how all the people on his route were greeting him, bringing him presents. He took such an interest in all of them. He would feed their pets. He, there was one woman on his route that had dementia and she couldn't remember many people in her life, but she remembered Floyd. Hmm. And he just took such an interest in the people that he delivered mail to. And you could see how he, he was just greeting and saying goodbye to all of the neighbors as he was delivering the mail that day. I just thought it was so beautiful. And it was, it. I'm like, world, we need more of this. More of loving our neighbor for real, like yeah. in real life, like get off social media and really go love your neighbor like in the real world. Yes. And I'm going to start by getting off Twitter. <laughs> and I think, too, the other thing that really struck me, and they even had a block party for him at the end. 300 people came and brought potluck dinner and and the celebrated Floyd for all of his service. Wait, can we go back a picture? Can no. Scroll down. Oh, no. man, Floyd was rocking an afro back then. I thought, I was like, hey, Floyd, yes. This, that's the you. lady that has dementia. Oh, okay. Um, and everyone posed for pictures with him. And just he was such a, a inspiration to people on his route. And it made me reflect on two things. Obviously, um, in case people didn't notice, uh, Floyd's black. Yes. And many people on his route are not. Yes. <laughs> They're white. And I thought, you know, here we are living in such a day and age of race division. And I was so struck by people just loving each other and extending kindness. What we used to call being a good neighbor and having human kindness toward each other. And it was such a beautiful story that this gal preserved on Twitter in this thread. The other thing that struck me is I have a theology of work that Work is inherent to what it means to be a human person, that God gave Adam and Eve jobs before the fall. Jobs are not part of the curse. They're part of the created order. And that we find part of our dignity is in work. And I thought it was so beautiful to, to reflect on how work can be a legitimate way of loving our neighbor as ourself. And when I think about the dignity of work, I think about people who work in fast food. For example, there was an incident recently where I was going through the drive-thru and this young man was giving me my, my drink and it spilled all over the side of the drink before he put the lid on. And then he took the time to wipe the drink before giving it to me. And I thought, see, that's an act of love that he's giving me the drink the way that he would want somebody to handle his drink. He wouldn't want to get a wet drink mm -hmm. in his car. And he took 10 seconds to wipe it off. And I think that all work in that way has the, the potential to be an act of love. That when we come at it from a heart posture of, hey, anybody can deliver the mail. But when you take the time to try to know your neighbor's and to know the, know the people that you're delivering to and know their lives and their pets and their, their children, um, their names, that's, that's an act of love and service and kindness. 
And so those are just a couple of my reflections as I was thinking about Floyd. God bless Floyd. God bless Floyd. Yes. Floyd's Afro. I saw saw Floyd. Yes. (laughs) Back in the Um, day. Back in the day. Yeah. um, That's a cool story. And I'm glad that it was on Twitter. I'm glad that it was. See, I found something good on Twitter. It's a redemptive moment. A redemptive tweet. (laughs) It's Um, possible. It's a little bit like looking for Bigfoot, but I found something. Yeah, I I might try it again. I <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little skeptical on it, but um, yeah. So it's almost time for us to go. But before we do go, um, let's talk about your series that you have on your YouTube channel. Yeah, and where they can find you, mm-hmm. and any closing remarks. Maybe yeah. you have a question for me. Well, um. Yeah, I I probably do. Uh, Yeah, so my channel is Theology Mom, and I'm doing a series right now on race issues. I've been posting every Tuesday. I just finished up the series on interracial marriage. I'll be starting a new teaching this Tuesday on the question of uh, the curse of Ham and his son Canaan that has been used uh, for a couple hundred years as a biblical warrant for teaching that black people are cursed. And I was not aware of this teaching until fairly recently. Yes, it is there. I had stumbled across something and I couldn't believe that this was a, that people that I admired were using this as a teaching. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. I remember the first time we talked about it, you were like, no, that's not true. Like, that's just too crazy. (laughs) Like, That's not good biblical exegesis. How did we arrive at this conclusion? What are you talking about? And then I started researching it and seeing how prevalent this was in the American church and what an error it was. So it's going to be a, a a video kind of looking into the historical foundation for that teaching and then unpacking that, or I should really say overturning that with some good biblical exegesis because we want to clear that up that uh black people are thank you for diving not not cursed thank you for diving into that i think it's one thing to live as a black woman and say you know that whole theory is really bogus but it's different to do it as someone who is not of the race i think it can be harder to step into that space and require more courage than it can at times for me to just be like, Hey, no, what are you doing? That's dumb. Yeah. You know, you're for a lot of right going to your own peers and saying, Hey, this is not, this is not, this is not okay. Stop it. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it's been very educational for me. So that's coming this week. I have the teaching on uh, why are there so many churches that I did at the rescue mission. People can check that out on my YouTube channel. And uh, our podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Google Play, and Spotify. Yes. So they can catch us there. And we do want to uh, ask you to support this program if this program is being meaningful to you and helps you learn and grow in your faith to consider supporting us um, and helping us to continue to improve our process here. We just uh, are glad to be here every week uh, talking to each other talking to you and uh, if you'd like to make a donation that'll be in the in the description 
awesome. for the for the show. So we do thank you for watching and commenting. And we have like an eagle coming on this image here. Oh my! Oh, <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> Someone was gifted a giant sword. Oh, sword? sword! That's what you would say in South Africa. Sword. They pronounce the W, Ugh. but I am not there. Sword. And in my Sorry. cash, my Johnny Cash shirt. Oh, my goodness. So at the rescue mission, my friends down there gave me this very special gift uh, as a thank you for my work. And I love the inscription on it. it. It says to be a warrior for the least, the lost, and the last. It's a wonderful thing. So they were just uh, very, uh, it just was so meaningful to me. I'm going to try not to cry here on the air, but... It was a very meaningful gift that they gave me because um, I, I really do thoroughly enjoy working with them and um, hearing their questions and helping them think through their faith in deeper ways. So That's a very good work. Yeah. All right. We have one minute. Any question? Question for you? Not anything hard. Let's be honest, people. But anything? Um. So... Why are you wearing a shirt about chips and salsa? Like, is that your favorite food? Chip, or salsa, repeat. Yeah, yeah. Um, is this an endorsement? Like, do you want people to send you chips? Yes. Please. <laughs> you can always send me chips and good salsa. Um, yes, this is actually a dance shirt. So you might not know. Well, n nobody out there knows. But I dance. And I saw this shirt um, when I was shopping for some dance clothes. And I was like, yes, everyone should have chips and salsa. Yes, for Taco Tuesday. Everything leads me into chips and salsa. And I can eat chips and salsa, as you know, every day. I eat tortilla chips every day. Like every it could day. be nine o'clock at night and she's busting out the tortilla chips. Yes. And so I just feel like this is a manner of life in which we should all participate. Chips, <laughs> salsa, and then just repeat it. Just keep it going. Well, we'll look forward to people's comments in the uh, comments box. About chips and salsa. And your language. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, potential other graphic t-shirts they would like you to wear. Yeah. You know, there really is something to a graphic tee. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks, everyone. And God bless. Bye.